Welcome to Er Garcia, a podcast of work, faith, theology, and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. And welcome to Ergasia. My name is Brendan Byrne, and I have the pleasure of being your host. In this episode, we conclude our exploration of the book Hard Work Never Killed Anybody How the Idolization of Work Sustains This Deadly Lie by John Bottomley, published by Morningstar Publishing in 2015. In the last episode, we reached the end of Bottomley's book by examining his argument that solidarity and the hope to which it gives rise embodies and makes real God's governance of the world. In today's episode, we go right back to the beginning of Hard Work Never Killed Anybody and Bottomley's introduction to the book, which, oddly enough, acts as a kind of summation of, and reflection upon, the text and the realities of work and economy to which it speaks. And so, without any further ado, let us begin Ergasia episode 30, Hard Work Never Killed Anybody, part 11, Introduction to the Issues. Bottomley first became aware of the damaging impact of modernity's construction of work and its role in human life during his first ministry placement in a congregation in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne in the early 1970s. During this period, Bottomley encountered many housewives who felt lonely, isolated and depressed as they spent the whole of their day on their own attending to household chores while their husbands were away at work and their children were at school. The reality of their experience didn't match either their own personal expectations of or the social narrative concerning what married life would be like. Bottomley managed to bring a number of these women together through a Bible study series and as the connections and trust between them grew, a number of the women agreed to participate in a study project facilitated by two sociologists. This consisted of completing a diary over a seven-day period about the amount of time they committed to housework and childcare, as well as participating in focused discussion sessions about the realities of being a housewife. On average, these women spent just over 35 hours a week on housework and just under 22 hours a week on childcare, amounting to an average working week of just over 55 hours, far longer than the mandated 40-hour working week experienced by their husbands. The research also discovered 
that what the participants thought of as one of the best aspects of being a housewife, being able to be largely self-directed, was consistently undermined by the punishingly long hours, for example having to get up well before anyone else in the household. The experience of these women demonstrated to Bottomley the crisis that occurs when our expectations about work and their role in shaping our self-identity are undermined by our experience of the realities of work. These women had constructed an understanding about themselves and their worth as human beings as a consequence of their acceptance of socially driven narratives about the value of hard work and the promises of the good life to which they gave rise. However, their experience of the loneliness and sheer drudgery of the underlying reality undermined both their self-understanding and self-esteem. The consequence was all too often feelings of frustration, alienation and despair, as well as significantly adverse mental health outcomes. It was through this encounter that Bottomley first glimpsed how the forces that make a virtue of hard work are able to elicit a strong commitment to the belief that work is the primary avenue to human fulfilment, even in the face of the tedious, demanding and often dangerous realities of work itself. It also enabled Bottomley to begin an exploration of the question of what alternative beliefs about work, human fulfilment and self-worth could the church bring to the issue of the role of work in human life, so that the church could respond with solidarity to the human suffering and injustice stemming from the way our society works today. But inasmuch as Bottomley discovered the disconnect between people's beliefs about work and the underlying realities, so he also discovered a disconnect between Christian theological tradition and practice within the church. Throughout history, both Catholic and Protestant theologians have reflected on the place of work in human life, and both have consistently placed limits on the claims made on behalf of work with respect to what it can contribute to human flourishing and social progress. Unfortunately, these reflections do not appear to have played a central role in either the Catholic or Protestant churches in Australia. Indeed, modernity's beliefs about work appear to hold greater credence in Australian churches than does the theological tradition to which these churches supposedly subscribe. For Bottomley, this was borne out by national church life survey data that consistently showed that while individual Christians felt called by God to their work, this vocational sense was displaced by a concurrent utilitarian understanding of work as a gateway to a career or as a job that merely sustained physical existence. At the same time, Australian churches paid scant attention in either their worship or their faith education about the ways in which modernity's beliefs about work displaced the gospel 
in the church's response to the suffering and injustice which people experienced through work. For Bottomley, these realities were indicative of the extent to which the church and its centering around traditional parish ministry gave attention to what families could contribute to the church from income derived through paid work, but which simultaneously relegated other concerns arising from modernity's construction of work and economy to being of little or no import to the church's mission in the world. But it was not until after Bottomley had left congregational ministry and begun work as a workplace researcher that he began to realise the sheer extent to which modernity's beliefs about work had captured the public imagination, and with it the corresponding narrowness of the sphere of operation and ministry to which the church had willingly narrowed itself. This illustrated for Bottomley his own taken-for-granted assumptions about church and society, bringing into sharp focus a number of questions about the prevailing belief in the promised land that was accessible through hard work, as well as what it means to be the church in the world today. This focus on traditional congregational structures was only emphasised by the creation of the Uniting Church in Australia in 1977. A union of the Methodist, Congregational and Presbyterian denominations, the push toward the merging of these three traditions created painful splits in some communities, especially within the Presbyterian Church, a reality that was largely ignored at the time amid the enthusiasm to make the new church work. However, this same enthusiasm also drove the consolidation of the traditional parish-based model of church polity that reflected the old order's established patterns and assumptions about the church's mission and ministry. The Uniting Church may have been new, but its internal culture was not. From Bottomley's perspective, one consequence of this old culture wearing new clothes was a considerable narrowing of the possibility that the Uniting Church might develop new models of ministry that could respond effectively to the harm and injustice arising from modernity's assumptions about the value of hard work. Thus it comes as no surprise to Bottomley that the National Church Life Survey data reflects an understanding about work among the Uniting Church's membership that closely aligns to the assumptions prevalent within wider society. This correlation reflects an unsureness among UCA members as to whether their work contributes to God's mission in the world, or indeed whether or not the presence of God is discernible at work. An unsureness that mirrors wider social attitudes to the question of faith and work that both justify the division of human life into separate spheres of public and private, and which urges the replacement of God's mission with submission to the ideology of hard work. Nonetheless, the captivity of the church to Western cultural intentions to marginalise God to the fringes of public life didn't prevent individual lay people and ministers 
from responding to God's call to minister to the world of work. From the 1950s to the 80s, a number of clergy left traditional congregational ministries to work as ordained persons within the world of work, a spirit of discernment that was not recognised by the wider church or the new uniting church. Indeed, these ministers often experienced opposition and disapproval both from their fellow clergy as well as from the leadership of the churches. Eventually, the Uniting Church would classify most of these clergy as ministers without settlement. That is to say, as ministers who were not in church-sanctioned, i.e. settled, placements. The shared experience of Bottomley and other ministers in paid secular employment resulted in the formation of the Urban Ministries Network, the progenitor of what would eventually become the Creative Ministries Network. The body was initially established outside the structures of the Uniting Church because the Victorian Synod at that time saw no need for such a ministry. Unfortunately, a number of the ministers involved in the UMN's formation were eventually forced to resign from ordained ministry because they did not fulfil the UCA's requirements of traditional parish ministry. At the same time, increasing numbers of lay people were being alienated by the narrow focus on congregational life that did not address the concerns and hurts arising from their experience of work. As a consequence, by the year 2000, the Uniting Church discovered that the majority of its membership was over 60 years of age and either approaching retirement or already retired. The new church was looking distinctly old. For Bottomley and his colleagues, meanwhile, their initial contact with injured workers not only revealed the suffering that had come to them through work, it also disclosed the ongoing injustice they experienced trying to negotiate the workers' compensation system, deal with hostile media presentation of injured workers, counter medical blindness to psychosocial injury, and endure the trauma of family and relationship breakdown. The sum of these experiences was the effective shifting of blame for the workers' injury onto the injured workers themselves. From the prophetic perspective of scripture, the injustice suffered by these workers at the hands of the powerful mirrored the very bases of injustice condemned by the prophets Isaiah and Amos. This realisation helped equip Bottomley and his colleagues for a holistic prophetic ministry in which multiple disciplines engage work, faith and the arts in a ministry of healing, justice and reconciliation. This ministry was called forth by their discernment of God's call to Christians to be present in the world of work in a way that gave voice to God's judgment on processes and systems of injustice, as well as expressing God's mercy for the victims of work-related harm. For Bottomley and his colleagues, 
the revelation of the prophetic dimensions of their ministry induced an extended reflection upon the widely prevalent beliefs about work which they encountered. This led them to understand that if God's judgment condemns idolatrous beliefs about work, God's mercy likewise promises the transformation of work and the renewal of both society and the church. In this context, the task of the church becomes the nourishing and evocation of a consciousness about the meaning and purpose of work in human life that offers an alternative vision to the one proffered by the dominant culture of society. This alternative worldview critiques and dismantles the false promises of the dominant culture while energizing people with its promise toward the creation of a just and peaceable future. It is into the long interval between the pronouncement of God's condemnation and the fulfillment of God's mercy that the church is called to stand and be, not merely present, but in active solidarity with the victims of the idolatry of hard work. Despite its failure to do so, indeed despite its abandonment altogether of the world of work, God is still calling the church to realize and enact models of companioning pastoral care that comforts and upholds the victims of injustice and liberates both the church and wider society from its captivity to the cultic beliefs in the value of hard work. From a personal perspective, and as someone who has both known and worked with John Bottomley, it seems clear to me that it was in response to God's call to the church that it stand in solidarity with those harmed by modernity's construction of work and economy, that Bottomley's own long odyssey of walking with those wounded by work both began and was sustained despite the church's own indifference to the world of work as a mission field, or even its occasional hostility to the inconvenient truths and implications arising from Bottomley's prophetic ministry. As someone who has both benefited from and been vocationally inspired by Bottomley's engagement with the world of work, I personally behold with a mixture of despair and anger the failure of the church to be active in what is, after all, the primary social and economic reality of modernity. Even the disruptions of the COVID-19 pandemic have simply rearranged, rather than displaced, the structures of waged labour and other forms of hard work from the oppressive primacy they hold over human understanding. Meanwhile, the church's silence and inactivity continues, even as it expends much time and energy and resources fussing and fuming about new forms of ministry and faith community, 
seemingly oblivious the whole while to the incongruity of expecting the world to be interested in the church if the church is absent from the world's primary reality. The consequence of this has not just been the increasing irrelevance of the so-called mainstream churches to the rest of the world, but the near dominance of Christian discourse in this area by those voices within the wider church who seek to align the spirit of Christianity with the spirit of corporatist consumerist capitalism. These are voices that seek not to unmask and critique the harmful truths that underlie modernity's beliefs about work, but to reconcile Christians to those forces by replacing prophetic vision with a warped notion of work as offering to God. Thus Christians are urged to do their best and give their all as though capitalist notions of productivity and wealth enhancement were congruent with the gospel proclamation of human dignity and flourishing. Driven largely by a managerial, entrepreneurial and ownership of capital perspective, these voices seek to co-opt the old monastic notion of work, indeed of life as offering to God, in service to the ever-devouring demands of corporate prerogative. And because this theology of the marketplace closely mirrors popular assumptions and expectations about work, it daily grows in adherence, while the victims of work-related injustice continue to be silenced and marginalised. It is against the apathy of the mainstream church, the insidious influence of modernity's assumptions and promises about work, and the twisting of Christian theology into a process of co-option that John Bottomley has struggled through the course of his unique and prophetic ministry. Hard work never killed anybody is a powerful and important record of that ministry. we conclude this episode of Ergasia, and with it this examination of Hard Work Never Killed Anybody by John Bottomley. The next episode, however, will be a kind of coda to this series, for I will be interviewing John Bottomley and talking with him about his ministry, the issues raised in this book, and the future of work and faith. It should be a fascinating conversation so I, can, I hope you can join me. In the meantime, to leave your thoughts about this podcast, or to offer any suggestions or ideas for future subjects, please go to the webpage at www.ergasia.podbean.com or go to the podcast pages on Facebook and Twitter. I hope to have the pleasure of your company for the next episode. I am your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now.
You have been listening to Ergasia, a podcast of faith, work, theology and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.